welcome to episode 37 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Tonight, we are recording on June 18th, 2017. Today was also Father's Day in the United States, so happy Father's Day to any dads who are listening or any soon-to-be dads. Uh, Unlike my co-host, I don't discriminate on the status of your child, so if you are a sweet father of a dog or cat or a pet or anything like that and take care of it just like a human child and pay its expensive uh, vet bills, then I think that qualifies as a father too. I guess it does. I should it probably now get out of here. No. I'm, I, <laughs> uh, in unrelated news, I'm doing a solo show tonight. Brad will not be featured on this podcast. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, anyway, I guess I should probably introduce myself at this point. Uh, my name is Corey Motley. I'm a staff writer at GameCritics.com, and I'm 50% of the show. And speaking of my rude co-host, who I guess I can let say some things on the show tonight, his name is Brad Galloway, and he is the other half of the show. He's also the editor at GameCritics.com, and uh, now that I've spent some of the intro shit-talking about you, Brad, how do you feel? Um, about the shit-talk or just in general? Uh, either or. Uh, <laughs> oh, fine about both. I'm, I'm pretty easygoing in general, so <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Looking forward to uh, the show tonight. It's been kind of a, even though I haven't done a lot today, it's, it feels like it's been a really long day, so I got that feeling where, like, I should probably be in bed right now, and if, if I'm recording, I may say something I'll regret later, but I'm going to try to keep that under control. Oh, jeez. We'll see what um, happens. All right, well, usually... We get the ball rolling with a little bit of unnecessary banter that is not necessarily game-related. So, Brad, what do you have on deck? Ah, uh, geez, just a couple of random things. Uh, pretty good day today. Uh, yeah, it is Father's Day, but I gotta be honest, I totally forgot it was Father's Day until my uh, oldest son uh, sent me a text this morning, and I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, man, happy <laughs> happy Dad's Day to me. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, but we went, uh, the family went bowling this morning. Um, one of the, uh, members of the Game Bar podcast, uh, Jeremiah Bratton actually lives, uh, not super close, but he's in the area. So we got together for some bowling and breakfast this morning. There's a really cool bowling alley a little bit south of where I live and you can get a little table and bowl. And then they will also bring you some food right to your table. So you don't even have to go anywhere and it's really nice. So we had a very lovely breakfast as we were bowling uh so it's good times good times um it's funny because it seems like a really good idea to eat breakfast and bowl at the same time but like as we were bowling and eating it was weird because uh i'd start to eat and then like before i i take like two bites and then it's like my turn again and i'm like shit I'm, I'm still eating i'm not done and then you gotta go bowl and you gotta come back so it ended up being a little more um like more of an interrupted meal than anything else, which is kind of weird. I didn't think it would be so bothersome, but it kind of was irritating. But at the same time, still pretty cool because, I mean, bowling and waffles uh, kind of go together, I guess. So that was all right. <laughs> uh, otherwise, I mentioned a long time ago um, about a show that my family is watching called uh, Gordimer Gibbons Life on Normal Street. It's an Amazon exclusive. Do you remember me mentioning this show, Corey? This is the one about the kids, right? Yeah, it's three kids who live on the street, and it's got this little touch of magical realism to it. So they have, like, normal kid problems, but then usually, like, they'll find some, like, magical artifact or something, like, you know, really weird and fantastical will happen. 
and that kind of like you know they go on this adventure to kind of solve it or whatever but then usually they just get back to being kids so it's it's really cool really cool show we are just coming up on the end of the second season and i really recommend it i think it's great i really like the show a lot um and it was really weird because the the show had been just like i said magical realism with kids and they're about you know i don't know junior high age or something like that and then uh one episode or two episodes before the end it got like super dark when someone actually died on the show, like for real died. And it just was like, uh, number one, like we were all kind of like shell shocked that somebody actually died. Uh, Cause that just, I mean, the kids do a great job of acting and it wasn't just like, Oh, they died. It was like, everybody was like devastated on the show. And like, we were like, Oh shit. Like we're devastated now because you guys are devastated. And it was interesting because one of the characters in the show, she's a girl. She's like this engineering genius, uh, really, really smart girl. Uh, she decides to like build a time machine to kind of go back and like stop that person from dying. And it was just really, God, it was, it was like heartbreaking. It was really fucking sad. And it kind of caught us all by surprise because the show is not generally that heavy. And I'm glad that our son isn't too sensitive because that could have been really devastating uh, if he had been a little more sensitive than he was. And we talked him through it and we discussed the issues that brought up in the show and everything. But Man, that was kind of a weird left turn out of nowhere. Like, I kind of wish that they had given us a warning beforehand. Um, I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but like a little bit of text before the show saying, oh, FYI, this has got some sensitive topics. Because it really was. Like, it wasn't... It, it just was something that really, like, it kind of hit us all, like, out of the blue. And I, I really would have uh, appreciated a heads up. But we got through it, and it ended up being just really, like... Ah, just I mean, good, but in a really sad way. So, unexpected. Unexpected dramatic depth from Gordon McGibbons on Normal Street, but I still recommend it. But parents, if you're going to watch this with your kids, just heads up, second season at the end. Ooh, man, prepare, prepare for that one. Um, good stuff. Also, uh, we don't necessarily talk about games in the banter, but I think I will bring up something game-related this week. Uh, it's bizarre to me, utterly bizarre. And I never would have guessed this, but like the last two weeks have been about nothing but the Wii U at my house. We have been playing so much Wii U lately. It is ridiculous. It is totally ridiculous. Do you have a Wii U, Corey, still? Or did you ever have one? Uh, yeah, I've got one. When's the last time you fucking turned it on? Uh, as a matter of fact, um, Patrick, I, Patrick plays a little bit more than me because he got Breath of the Wild on it. And he plays it maybe like once a week, but every once in a while, um, I know this is going to surprise you, but I own the director's cut of Deus Ex Human Revolution on Wii U. I know, shocker. I, I am so game surprised. Like four times over. I am so um, surprised. Yeah, so every once in a while, if he's playing video games in the living room, I will uh, just take the game pad back in the bedroom and just play Deus Ex for a little while, like before I go to bed or something. But... I think in the past, gosh, six months, I've probably only played it like two or three times, maybe. The Wii U in general, I think. Okay. So I haven't touched my Wii U. I mean, if you if you don't count Zelda Breath of the Wild, and I played it on Wii U because I don't uh, have a Switch yet. So that was kind of an exception. But if you don't count Breath of the Wild, I literally cannot remember the last time I turned my Wii U on. Like, it's been so long. I, I have no idea what the last thing I played on it was. Don't know when it was. I mean, maybe like Splatoon, maybe. Uh, that seems to be something something of that nature. Anyway, for whatever reason, uh, my son just got this, this wild hair to go and play some Wii U. And it's interesting because, you know, we are definitely a game household. We've got like consoles all over the place. We've got a bunch of games. 
Unfortunately, we don't have a spare room, so I don't just have like a game dedicated room. I really wish I did, but uh, otherwise, he's got like a lot of access to stuff. So he jumps around. He'll do some 360. He'll do some PS4. He'll do some iPad. He'll do whatever. But it's all about the Wii U, and so I had to fire that thing back up, connect it back up to the TV, and then he got out like a bunch of games. He's been playing um, Nintendo Land. Uh, he played it a while ago and didn't really click with it, but for, for whatever reason, something reminded him of it, and then he remembered that we had it, and he's like, oh, I want to play that. So we started playing it, and I didn't recall. I don't even know how this happened, but like we have Nintendo Land, and that was the pack-in that came with the Wii U, but we didn't have the Wii Motion Plus, and I'm trying to understand, I'm trying, I can't remember what happened, because it doesn't make sense that Nintendo would pack in Nintendo Land, which, like, half the games require the Wii Motion Plus, but we don't have it, and I'm like, did they just sell the Wii U without the Wii Motion Plus, or was there a different, I know there's a Wii, Wii Mote that has the Motion Plus stuff in it, but we don't have it, did you, I mean, am I remembering this wrong, did it not come with a Wii Motion Plus? You know, now that you mention it, I don't think the Wii U came with anything except the gamepad, and that's it. I mean, I had a Wii Mote and a nunchuck from the Wii, but I've never, ever had the Motion Plus attachment or a, a Wii U that has Motion Plus, uh, like, built in already. Okay, see, that must that must be right, because we didn't have anything. I've never remembered owning it, and I don't remember ever having it, and I'm like, God, it's so weird. I mean, I, yeah, I had put Nintendo Land out of my mind a while ago. And so when he was like, Dad, I can't play this one. Dad, I can't play this one. I'm like, what the fuck is going on over here? <laughs> and it's like, Wii Motion Plus. And so, like, dude, I had to actually go to the fucking store and track down a fucking Wii Motion Plus. And luckily I found one, but I'm like, man, what a pain in the ass. And so I bring it home. And I'm looking at this pile of Nintendo shit in my living room where I've got, like, the Wii U. I've got the Wii Motes. I've got the pad. I've got the fucking nunchuck. I've got the fucking Wii Motion Plus. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, all this stuff. <laughs> All these fucking doodads and, like, the wrist strap on top of that so he doesn't throw the thing across the room. I'm like, you know, God, fuck all this stuff. This is ridiculous. Most just pile of garbage in here. Anyway, ridiculous. But he's been really having a good time. Loving Nintendo Land. We've been doing all those games together. He went back into, like, Pikmin 3. He's been loving that. He was playing. Oh, God, just, like, everything. Just digging it all out on the Wii and just loving it. And I'm like... I mean, cool, like, I'm glad that he's enjoying it and all that, but it just, I never thought in a million years I would fire that thing back up, so, uh, I guess there are still some good experiences to be had on the Wii U, uh, apparently, so, yep, still fun, I guess, um, lastly, uh, quick shout out to Joshua Jackson, who sent us a message earlier and said that we had made the A-team of his podcast. He's got an A team and a B team <laughs> and we're on the A team motherfuckers. That's right. So shout out, shout out to Joshua for bumping us up to the big leagues. Thanks for listening, man. Really appreciate it. And hopefully we will make the A team of everybody else that's listening out there. So that is my banter for this week, man. And it's been kind of a bantery week. I had a lot of stuff to talk about there. Uh, how is, how is your banter looking, Corey? Uh, well, as usual, I haven't really done a ton of stuff over the past week. That's like the story of my life every week. Um, I went out last night, which was pretty nice. Um, yesterday, Patrick was off this weekend for the first, like first real like weekend off in a long time. Cause he's been working his ass off at the plant. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and so like we did some very adult things yesterday, like go grocery shopping and he bought some work pants and. Uh, you know, all the very exciting things you look forward to whenever you're almost 30. And uh, we and we made dinner also, like old people, really early last night. We ate dinner at like 5 p.m. last night. And 
Um, and I had been thinking about going out um, last night just because we hadn't really gone out and done anything. So we actually ended up going out with uh, his coworker, the one that I talked about on the last show um, that I was probably really boring around. Um, but I think I got to make a good second impression because we went out and got drinks and he asked me about my tattoo and then the floodgates opened for me to start talking about Deus Ex and off I went. Um, but he, uh, Patrick's coworker, is a big video gamer. So it was nice to, you know, not be like, oh, my tattoo is based on a video game and have like, you know, the sometimes like stink eye or weird look that I get. Um, but so that, that was nice, but that wasn't really what I had planned to talk about. Um, what I want to talk about is um, uh, because... Patrick worked, let's see, let me see if I can get this right. He worked some extra on Memorial Day so he could take a little bit of extra time off around July 4th. And he decided that we um, should maybe go on like a vacation together, which is nice because I mean, I don't know about you, Brad, but whenever I grew up, I didn't really go on vacation much. Like I went to, I remember one very specific vacation that my family went on whenever I was probably like seven or eight and we went to Galveston, Texas. I might've talked about this on the show before, but we went to Texas and it was like a nice family vacation. But I literally think that was the only family vacation I ever went on in my life. And then as an adult, I've only gone on like, I think like three vacations maybe. Like I've been to Seattle twice, which I've seen you guys, uh, you know, you and your wife and all the Seattle peeps, both times I've been out to Seattle. Um, but Patrick decided that, um, you know, we should go, we should try to take a vacation cause he's got some savings and everything, um, around the fourth. And at first, uh, he was basically looking at like the cheapest flights he could get us anywhere just to kind of see like what our options were. Cause we don't, you know, need to be spending like a bajillion dollars for vacation. And his first, uh, option was Mexico city, Mexico. And like the flights are really cheap, but I wasn't really like, I don't want to sound like a douche here because, of course, I will appreciate any vacation that I don't have to pay for. Like, I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, I'm going to complain about going on vacation. Um, but I, I heard, you know, Mexico City and I was like, well, I've never really thought about going there. Um, you know, I don't really know anything about it. And plus, uh, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I've never been out of the United States. So that would be like my first international trip. And I feel like Mexico City, Mexico is not like super um like exciting for like your first international trip and so we looked at flights again and by the second time we looked um the mexico city flights actually went up a little bit and it turns out that flights to new york went down so uh we're going on vacation to new york around the fourth of july and i'm really excited because i have never been to new york i'm almost 30 i've never been to new york i've never even been to the east coast ever um the farthest east i've been is like tennessee like nashville i think um I mean, not if you're counting Florida. I've been to Florida like once, but um, so yeah, I'm just really excited going to uh, New York in a couple of weeks and we'll be there for like, I think like four days and hopefully get to meet some people from Twitter. It's like New York is one of those places where I feel like everybody either lives there or California. So I feel like there's probably a bunch of people that I follow on Twitter who live there and I just like don't realize they live there, but it'll be nice to go and see all the New York stuff that everybody talks about all the time and maybe see like things from TV shows and meet people and eat good food and all that stuff. So I'm pretty excited, but I think that's, that's basically my biggest life update lately, I think. Well, that's pretty cool. You know, I am, I, I never really took a lot of vacations either. Um, whenever we would go on, you know, quote unquote vacation, it was either something that my dad wanted to do. And I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but me and my dad don't get along. Uh, we are not, uh, we are not in communication. He's not really that great of a guy. 
Uh, haven't talked to him in like probably 10 or 12 years or something like that. So he, we would like do whatever he wanted to do. And that was inevitably nothing that any of us wanted to do. So it was always a bummer <laughs> or we would just like visit family and it was always just like the same, you know, oh, okay, let's go see grandma and grandpa, which is fine. Cause I loved them. They were great people, but you know, that's not really like a vacation. That's just seeing family, you know? So we never really went on any vacations. And then it's just not a thing for me now that I'm a freelancer um, you know, number of issues come up in life. And so I never really had a lot of money to spend on something like that. And so I just, it's just never been a thing. I mean, hopefully we'll change that in the future. Maybe once I stop paying child support. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's awesome. And it sounds so exciting in New York is such a, you know, it's like one of those places that, you know, it's, it, you know, it seems like everybody should visit once cause it's such a big famous place and it's in all the movies and TV and it's, you know, one of the biggest cities and most metropolitan cities and, it seems just like a, a really cool thing that's definitely worth doing. I would like to see. I've never been. Uh, I think Gina's been. My wife has been. But uh, I've never been. I would love to go. Um, if for no other reason than I think you can get falafel pretty much 24-7 over there. Which, I mean, like, <laughs> right on, right? Like, why would you not want to do that? Like, I would totally do that. In it's fact, that would wait. basically the only reason I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like, I am down with that for a reason. So you'll have to go. You'll have to have a falafel like at midnight and then like tweet me like immediately and tell me like how it is. <laughs> it tastes better after dark. It really does. <laughs> anyway, that's awesome, dude. I'm really psyched that you're going to get and go on a trip like that. That's amazing. Yeah, hopefully it will be. Um, hopefully it'll be successful. We just tried to book and I think we're going to Airbnb it instead of hotel it. And Patrick sent like this lady an Airbnb thing tonight. So hopefully she'll respond and. We'll get it figured out. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm kind of hoping, like, don't tell Patrick, but I'm kind of hoping that, like, there'll be some parkour dudes there that I can photograph that I don't know who are there. So maybe I can just, like, ditch him for an afternoon and go, like, take pictures of cool parkour dudes while I'm there. But I don't really know <laughs> who all is there. I don't think I, like, know any parkour guys there. So maybe I should just, I don't know, put my feelers out and see if anybody's interested. But that's are you something gonna that go- I'm... You going to go stand around randomly at a park and look for dudes, Corey? Is that what you're telling me you're going to go do? <laughs> well, you know, they might have, like, actual parkour areas there. I need to research the gyms because surely they have a parkour gym somewhere, and I can uh, I can maybe, like, email somebody and be like, oh, hey, I'm going to be in town. You know, if you guys are having a meetup or something, like, I'd like to hang out. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I feel like this is the beginning of one of your stories where you, like, almost get arrested again. Oh, yeah, I was God. in New York. I was in New York scoping dudes out at this park, and then this cop came up, and oh, my God. <laughs> or more like it's going to be like, oh, I was out photographing with these parkour dudes, and then we climbed a skyscraper, and then the police came after us, and we all got arrested, because <laughs> that's more likely what it would be like. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they told me to get down from the Statue of Liberty, but why? It's it's, it's a national <laughs> monument. I'm entitled to be up here. <laughs> anyway, all right, man. We have we have bantered. We have bantered. Any, any other banter, or is that it? Uh, I think that's it. Do you want to you wanna switch gears into game talk now? Yeah, man. Let's talk about some games. It's been uh, a weird a weird time because, you know, we just finished uh, with E3, and I was kind of considering looking up some best of E3 stuff, but I'm like, ah, fuck it. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. If anything's good, I'm going to hear about it soon. I've got, like, I, I, I got, like, um, 85 gajillion emails about E3 and I stuck them all in a folder so when I get some time I'll just go through and review and of course PAX West is coming up and anything that's good at E3 will be at PAX West so it's like eh whatever so I'm not, I didn't even bother researching anything about E3 did you by any chance did you look up anything from the floor did you do any more extra research uh, beyond what we discussed last week you know I kind of meant to but I think the E3 situation like 
I was on like Twitter overload. So I actually like kind of locked down my Twitter account and haven't really, I think I've tweeted once in like three days and I haven't really been checking it at all. Sort of like as, um, like a, what do you call it? Like a mental health break from Twitter. And I know that Twitter is like where all the E3 news is happening, but I, so I have not, you know, I haven't really been on Twitter. I haven't been browsing any game sites or anything. So if anything cool happened after the press conferences at E3, I basically have no idea what happened. Yeah, no, that's that's very understandable. It was pretty much like overload for a while. And there was like just a lot of stuff to filter through. So I kind of uh, after we got done with last week's episode, I kind of disconnected and uh, didn't really come back to it. I figured I'll just I'll catch up eventually. Um, so it was kind of weird. Otherwise, I was kind of jumping around from thing to thing and I didn't really settle in on anything for a while. I did find something to sink my teeth into, but I'm going to save that for the end of the show. Um, in the meantime, one of the games that I dabbled in and I, I definitely want to emphasize dabbled. I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time with it. It's called Everspace. Uh, this is put out by Rockfish Games and this came out, uh, September 23, 2016 on the Xbox one, which is where I'm playing it. And it's on their Xbox game preview program, which is basically just like a place for them to dump alphas and betas on console. <laughs> um, and I think it's officially out. I'm pretty sure it's officially out now. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time doing any of the pre-release stuff on Xbox or anywhere else because I don't know about you, man, but like there are so many finished games out. Like there's, there's a, a jillion finished games that I don't have time for. It's like, why would I want to spend time on something that's not done? Like, I, you know, I'm not going to put enough time in to, to give any worthwhile feedback to the developer. If it looks real cool, I'll check it out. But then I don't want to see it until it's done because I don't want to put a lot of time into it and then be disappointed because it's still buggy or because it's not finished or because there's not enough content. And then by the time it really launches, I'll kind of be tired of it probably and it won't seem <laughs> as cool and new. I mean, do you do you dabble in alphas and betas at all? Or and what's your what's your take on that? Uh, I really don't. I mean, every once in a while, like, I don't know, because alphas and betas can kind of go one way or the other for me. Like, it's either I'm going to play a beta for a game, like whenever before Hitman, the new Hitman launched, they did like the Hitman beta weekend for like people who pre-ordered um, like a while, long time ago. Um, and of course, I played that because, you know, I love Hitman. I was going to play that game no matter what, but I wanted to kind of dig in and see how the new uh, engine was going and how the new mechanics were going but I mean more often than not I will see um, like in the Xbox game preview thing like it's a very interesting program because like it's basically like Steam's early access but for Xbox and it's interesting because as far as I know PlayStation 4 does not have an equivalent of like an early access thing so uh, I think that's kind of something cool that Xbox has going for it. But the last thing that I played that I really remember that was on the Xbox game preview was um, We Happy Few, which is kind of like a first person, like 60s inspired. I think it's supposed to be like a roguelike, but it kind of feels like Fallout. And I, I went in because the game had looked very interesting to me. And then I played through the uh, alpha preview thing and I kind of came off like not liking it very much. I even wrote about it and... I mean, it's weird because I usually wouldn't write about something like that. So I must have been feeling some strong feels about it. But um, I don't know. I usually don't. And I feel like sometimes when games release on the Xbox preview or early access, they're just like stuck in early access hell for like years. Because I played We Happy Few like like months and months and months ago. And I haven't heard anything about that game being like officially released or like having a release date or anything. So I feel like it's just stuck in like preview hell for an eternity. 
Yeah, I don't like to see a game in that in that state because like if if I don't like it, I may end up like having these ideas about it that end up being not true when the actual game comes out. So maybe I will skip it because I didn't like the alpha or the beta, but then by the time it actually comes out it's actually much better, so then I'm kind of missing out on something. Or if I really like it, then it's like, oh, I want to play more of this. I want it to be done now. And then it's not done. And God, who knows how long some of these games take? (laughs) I mean, it's not like they all consistently come out, you know, six months before release. I mean, some come out. I mean, I think uh, Everspace, uh, the one I'm just about to talk about, you know, that came out, I think, uh, fairly recently, like what, six months or something or uh, a little bit less than a year. I mean, still, that's pretty long, but at least that's like less than a year. But some games just like linger and linger and linger. I just, I'm just not down with, with unfinished games. I know a lot of people like that, but I just, I don't like it. I don't like that feeling. I don't want to put my time on those things. And I kind of, I mean, I would much rather they come out as a finished product when it comes to console, especially. I mean, maybe people on PC feel differently, but when I'm on a console, I feel like I expect this thing to be done and polished. I mean, of course there's updates these days and that didn't used to be a thing, but you know, modern times. But I mean, aside from the updates, I expect it to be done. Especially if you're going to charge money for it. I'm just not down with charging money for something that's not finished. So anyway, we talked about that. Like uh, that was not exactly what I wanted to bring up, but I thought it was an interesting (laughs) point. Um, And I would be curious to hear from our listeners how they feel about alphas and betas and stuff, especially on console. I mean, PC is kind of separate and we don't really dip too deeply into the PC world. But uh, yeah, on the console, I just feel like it's I don't know. I just kind of feel like it's inappropriate. Like I just don't want them to be on there. And maybe is that just me? I don't know. I want to hear from other people. What do they think? But anyway, uh, the fact is that Everspace was in alpha beta on the Xbox One preview thing, and I'm pretty sure it is actually launched. I think it is now quote-unquote finished. Uh, so what this is, it's strange. It's it's a space exploration game where you are inside of a ship, uh, and you can look at first person or third person either way. I love the third person view because I like to look at you know characters and ships and things like that. So that's neat. Appreciate it. Uh, But it's also like a roguelike. This one kind of caught my attention a while ago, but I checked it out. Didn't seem like my thing. I'd kind of forgotten about it. And then uh, Mike Susky, a good friend of Mike Susky, who we talk about on the show all the time, uh, he was loving it. And I was watching his Twitter feed and he just he was going on about it. So I'm like, oh, well, Susky's got pretty good taste. I don't always agree with him, but I agree with him a fair amount. So if he likes it, there might be something for me to investigate. Checked it out on the Xbox One, and it is pretty cool. Not my jam, but I think it's pretty cool. So you're in a ship, there's a little bit of story, and then you get launched into space, and basically you're in this, like, zone. It's not it's not like a fly forever in space kind of thing. I mean, I think there's an end to how far you can go, but it's pretty big, and I don't think I ever reached the end. So you fly around, you find resources, minerals, um, ship components, you know, you scavenge whatever you can. Those things upgrade your ship. At the same time, there are other ships around. Sometimes they are neutral. Sometimes they're friendly, sometimes hostile. And, you know, once you've done everything you can do in a zone, you warp to the next zone. And apparently you just, you know, the point is to upgrade your ship enough and get strong enough that you can keep surviving the zones. They get harder as you go. And then I guess you can finish the game is what I'm hearing, uh, which is not always true for games like this where it's kind of a semi-roguelike, but I guess you can get to the end and then you solve the mystery of whatever the mystery is. I don't remember because the story was kind of boring, but um, <laughs> the game itself is really beautiful looking. Like when you're in space, it, it's, it looks really impressive. Like it looks very spacey and you know, I can't say for a fact what space looks like. Never been there myself, 
But, you know, it looks gorgeous, and flying the ship is pretty cool, very intuitive. Uh, collecting things is fine, but um, I, I kind of wished that there was more to it, or maybe a little, a little more depth. I mean, that's possibly an unfair statement, because I didn't spend all that much time with it, but I didn't see a lot there that kind of hooked me, and while I think it was good for what it is, it just wasn't interesting enough to keep me going. It was like I got through a couple zones... Uh, got killed by some dudes that were like way overpowered for me. Got sent back to the beginning. I think a few things had unlocked or I had some money. I think I had some money. And then you could buy some more stuff right off the bat so that you start off a little better than you did last time, which is great. I mean, I love that idea in a roguelike. Uh, not just the cold start every single time. But, you know, I did it a couple more times. I flew a little further, got some more stuff, got killed, came back. And it just didn't really seem to be giving me enough bang for the buck, you know? Like, I mean, the, the ship was cool and flying was cool, but I kind of wanted more to it. Like, I wanted a little bit more character. I wanted a little bit... I don't know, just, just something more to sink my teeth into. Just kind of flying around space. Just... It just seemed like it was kind of just not enough there. So, are you a big space guy? Do you ever play Wing Commander or Colony Wars or any of those? Do you play any of those spacey games, Corey? Uh, not really. I think the most like space exploration-y I've gotten is the Mass Effect games because I've never played anything that's bigger. I mean, the whole time you're talking about this game, you know what I'm thinking, don't you? You know what game I'm thinking of? Uh, what, No Man's Sky, maybe? No Man's Sky. It sounds exactly like No Man's Sky, but with a little bit more meat to it. It's possible because I actually haven't played No Man's Sky. I bought it. But I knew that it wasn't finished and, you know, all the hoopla around that game. We don't need to get into it now. But I just, it's one of the, it was, it was like New Vegas. Like when New Vegas came out, you play New Vegas, right? You like New Vegas, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I played all of it. Okay. So like when New Vegas came out, I was so excited for New Vegas that I bought the game on launch day and I didn't touch it. Literally did not touch it for a year because I wanted them to like iron out all the bugs, get all the patches out, fix whatever needed to be fixed. And I wanted to have, like, the best possible experience, right? So, like, I did the exact same thing um, for No Man's Sky. Like, it seems like a kind of thing that I might be into, maybe. So I bought it, but I haven't touched it, haven't opened it. And sure enough, those developers, God bless them, they keep <laughs> fixing things. And, I mean, seriously, dude, after the reception of the game, I expected we would hear that they had all, like, you know, gassed themselves out in their garage or something and, you know, committed mass suicide or whatever. I, I would not have wanted to be those guys. Uh, but yeah, they kept plugging along. They keep making stuff. Apparently they got something else in the works too. So they haven't given up on it. And by the time that I come around to No Man's Sky, that will be a really fine experience. I'm sure at some point in the future. So, um, I don't know if this is like No Man's Sky, but there's no landing on planets. Um, you're just in space. So maybe if you landed uh, okay. on planets, that would be kind of cool. But like, you're just flying. It's a, you know, I don't really know how to fix this, but like the problem that I have with space games that are similar to this is like, when you're flying in space, really all you're doing is, like, moving a reticle around and shooting uh, other ships and firing off missiles. And it's not a very satisfying kind of combat. It's not a very up-close and personal, not a very thrilling sort of combat. And so once that kind of loses its allure, you're just kind of flying around picking up, um, you know, you're looking at your radar for blips. You go over there, what is it? Oh, it's a mineral. Look at see another blip. Oh, what's this? Oh, it's a component. And then you, f you fly ahead. I mean... I don't want to talk shit about this game because I don't think that there's anything really wrong with it. I think it's just not a good fit for me because I just think I need more from a space game than just this. But 
I mean, I think it's beautiful. I think it's it's a neat idea. I don't. I mean, I personally don't know of very many spacey roguelikes that are like this. So I'm sure that this is someone's jam out there, but I don't think it's my jam. Um, I don't regret buying it, but then again, I didn't really put a lot of time into it, so well, I probably should have rented it if that was an option. It's not an option, but I probably <laughs> would have been better off renting it. So I put it up. I may come back to it one more time, uh, but if you never hear me talk about it again, don't be too surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's Everspace, currently on Xbox One. It's also on PC, and it is not on PS4, I don't think. Any interest? Nah. Uh, you know, I've actually, every once in a while, whenever I scroll through the Xbox game store, because every once in a while I'll turn on the Xbox store on my Xbox One and just, like, see if there's anything cool on sale or something. Um, because I play, like, 90% of my games on PS4, but I am not, um, I'm not above, like, picking up an Xbox game if it's on sale on Xbox and not on PlayStation 4 or something like that. And I've seen this game in the little, like, Xbox preview window every time I turn on the Xbox. And I don't... I've never thought about playing it a lot because every time I look at it, it looks exactly like No Man's Sky to me. Like, the cover art looks exactly like No Man's Sky because it's, like, a little, like, spaceship on, like, a rocky planet. And it's, like, really, like, light-saturated colors, like pastels almost. And it just reminds me of No Man's Sky. And I've only put about two to three hours into no man's sky and it's just not really my jam so i had thought like oh well this game is probably like xbox's answer to no man's sky but not hyped at all in any way shape or form because i've never heard like anybody talk about it except for you pretty much right now um but uh, i don't i don't think this sounds like it's something i would play i mean like you said not to say it's a bad game because i'm sure it's fine i mean we know that at least mike susky is enjoying it so that's uh, that's one good thing but um it doesn't really sound like something i would be interested in yeah i don't blame you i mean nothing about this screams uh cory ass game to me so i <laughs> i mean unless it was super cheap i would say probably skip it but anyway that's all i got to say on everspace man what are you bringing to the table what do you got what do you got this week well, um, the the sad thing about the games I'm talking about this week is I only have two games to talk about, and I've only played each one of them for like an hour, so I haven't really like dived in a ton on either of them. And I actually played both of them before E3, so I haven't touched either of these games in like a week, but I will talk about them nonetheless because they are the newest things I've been playing. Um, first game I want to talk about is outlast 2 which we just talked about recently when we were talking about the whole patch and difficulty in video games thing and um thank goodness because i rented this game and the patch the easier patch has already released for it since i rented it so that was kind of exciting because i am all about games not being hard um dude can we can we pause for one second here i think this is worth discussing because i heard about this patch i heard it was too hard at the beginning they patched in something as as a response it, I mean, so let me let me throw this statement out to you, and I'm going to throw this out to the listeners, too, and I, I want your opinion and everybody else's opinion, too. It seems to me that in the state of modern gaming these days, there is absolutely no reason to buy a game on launch day. And in fact, you are worse off if you buy a game at launch day because people will change things, there will be patches, there will be additions... Like it seems to me like the optimal game experience for any game these days is at least six months after launch. What do you say? Agree? Disagree? I I think for like 90%, I agree because for the most part, 
a game comes out. I mean, there's two. It's basically the reason it's twofold. The game comes out and either a bunch of shit is not finished or it's buggy or it's going to be patched or whatever. I mean, like this case, like No Man's Sky case, like, um, I don't know, uh, Fallout New Vegas, like uh, Mass Effect 3. Um, there's, you know, basically any <laughs> any game almost, as sad as it is to say that, is going to come out and need a patch and it will probably keep receiving patches for several months down the line. Um, and then the other reason and the twofold reason is that if you wait six months to buy a game, it's going to be a hell of a lot cheaper than, you know, $60 or however much it was on day one. Like I'm pretty sure that um, most games and we're talking like $60 triple a games are probably half the price. They are like six months after release. So, Oh yeah, and- for sure. For sure. Yeah, so unless you, like, absolutely have to play that game on day one, or unless, like, because, I mean, for some of us, like, you and I will play games and write about them, so obviously we want to play them as quickly as possible so we can, like, write the reviews or whatever. Um, I, I Yeah, I would totally say skip, especially if it's, like, a story-based game and you don't have to do, like, multiplayer or you don't have to keep up with, like, you know, the challenge or leveling up or whatever to, like, keep up with your friends. Yeah, if it's, like, a story-based game, there's, like... <laughs> almost no reason to buy it on day one it will probably be a much better experience farther down the line and it will be cheaper totally what a crazy time we live in i mean i the only thing i can think of is if kind of like you said if it's a games as service where you need to keep up with your friends that might be one reason or if it's like if it's a game where you're concerned that the multiplayer community is going to disappear before six months is out like you want to get in real quick and and get some multiplayer going but other than those two reasons i can't really think of any reason why you would want to buy a game on day one these days because it seems so crazy but like within our lifetimes there was a time when games shipped and they were done and that was it and there was no more patches (laughs) and that's just how they were and that's all you got so in that case makes sense but these days there is just no reason to buy on day one this and what you're talking about with um outlast 2 is is a perfect example of that um i'm interested to hear what you ever say and i'm sorry i derailed you there but yeah i mean i bet your experience now after the patch will be very different than what it might have been before the patch yeah and i mean i can't say for sure because i didn't play it before the patch but i did hear the news about the patch and i had heard that because i think um several game sites ran stories about you know how red barrels the developer um they had Um, you know, been receiving information that people were saying it was too hard and they were watching game streams of people like failing repeatedly on stuff. And so they decided internally like, okay, well, maybe we need to lighten some of the load and take some of the issues out because a lot of the stuff from they had uh, been watching people play the first game and thought that the first game was too easy. And so they made Outlast 2. It's like, it's freaking like Goldilocks here. Like, it's like Outlast 1 is too is too hard or too easy, maybe. And then Outlast 2 is, you know, too hard. But then Outlast 2 after patch is just right. Like Goldilocks can eat her porridge because they're just... It's like no matter what they do. I mean, it's, it's true in the truest sense of video games and video game fans that absolutely no matter what the developer does, there's going to be a bunch of people bitching no matter what. Um, but at least in the case of Outlast 2, I mean... They have, I think, three difficulty levels, I'm pretty sure. And I think the only the lowest difficulty setting is the one that they like added the easier patch stuff on. I'm pretty sure I, I that might be wrong. Maybe there's two difficulty levels and they made the easiest one easier or something like that. But um it's a little bit beside the point. But getting to the actual game now, um uh, it came out in April, April 25th. Uh, it's on all platforms, or by all, I mean all new platforms, Xbox One, PS4, and PC. And I'm playing on PS4. Um, 
You know, I played the first Outlast. I remember, um, I've talked about Outlast on the show before, because whenever Outlast came out, I thought it was going to be, like, super duper up my alley. Like, it's, like, first person, like, dark, scary horror. Um, you don't have weapons. You can't fight anything. And it so it's all about, like, hide and seek and hiding and, you know, running away from enemies and stuff like that. And I 100% thought that the first Outlast was going to be my jam. And as a matter of fact, I even bought the first Outlast twice because I bought it on Xbox One when it was on, like, a really cheap sale before I had the PS4. And then, like... A year or two later on PS4, it was on a really cheap sale again, and I was like, well, I'd rather play it on PS4, so I bought it again on PS4. Um, and I I played it for about two hours, the first one, and it just wasn't really my thing. Like, I, I didn't like being defenseless. I didn't like the, the... Like, the point of the game is that you have a camcorder. You're like a journalist with this, like, old, like, 90s-style camcorder, and you can use the night vision on it, and you can zoom in and out, and that kind of gives you, like your vision for most of the game because a lot of it's dark and the shitty thing about the night vision is that it runs by batteries and the batteries run down really quickly and I had like a big issue with like the batteries running down too fast and then it was just too difficult for me because I would be like too scared to go anywhere but I couldn't see where I was going and if I tried to see where I was going with the night vision and the batteries run down too fast and it was just like a like a just a compounding of things that I don't appreciate in games so, you know, I stopped playing it, whatever. I, I played the demo for the second one a while back, which we talked about before, and I thought the demo for the second one was incredible, so I have always knew I was going to end up playing the second one, and here I am playing the second one. And, I mean, it's fine. Like, I think it's better than the first one. Um, the point of the second one, it's basically, uh, as far as I can tell, has nothing to do with the characters or story of the first game. It's like a it's completely a separate story. You play as a, a journalist who, I don't know who at... Red Barrel's names, their characters, but they have the dumbest protagonist names ever. The protagonist in the first game, his name was Miles Upshur, which I'm sure is some, like, anagram for something. And the Outlast 2 protagonist, his name is Blake Langerman. Like, how... <laughs> it's like they just opened a phone book and taped it to the wall and, like, threw a dart and whatever name the dart landed on. They're like, all right, let's go with this name. So here we are with Blake, Blake Langerman, um, photojournalist whose wife Lynn is a uh, she's like an anchor or like a news reporter they're flying over Arizona with the helicopter uh, because they're chasing this like story about a woman a pregnant woman who was I guess kidnapped and murdered in like kind of kind of tribal like woodsy areas in Arizona and of course any 99.999% of games that start in a helicopter the helicopter crashes 30 seconds in that's just like a rule of video games so of course the helicopter crashes and basically you are Blake uh trying to get through the forest with your little camera um and it's it's like uh cuz the first game was in an insane asylum so it was automatically like you're enclosed in this asylum and there's like scary people in here and like some of the prisoners are loose and it's you know really creepy and in this one, it's more like, it's almost like Resident Evil 4, where it's like you're in this kind of like gross village that's sort of like, um, almost looks like Indian burial ground-esque. And the whole like theme of the second one is about like religion. And there's these like two religious cults out in these like remote Arizona woods. And they're kind of like against each other and they kidnap Lynn and Blake is trying to find her and trying to get out, but also trying to potentially solve the whatever pregnant woman murder mystery. And 
Um, I mean, isn't that mystery pretty much solved when he meets the psychos? I mean, is that is that not case closed right there? <laughs> that seems like a pretty easy mystery to solve, bro. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's ever going to come up in the game again, but or if just the point of the game from here on out is just like strictly survival. But I mean, it's basically it plays exactly as the first game. You know, you have the camera, you're running around, you're hiding from people. But um, I mean, it's all right. There are points where Blake, uh, either whenever he gets like knocked unconscious or he goes to sleep for some reason, he will have these uh, flashbacks to uh, whenever he was in like grade school, I guess. And it looks like he went to like a Catholic school or a school under some kind of like religious pretense. And those sections I really like because he's like in, basically it looks like any school you went to as a child, if you weren't homeschooled and he's like, you know, roaming the halls and it's dark. And I mean, schools at night, like I did lock-ins whenever I was in high school um, for certain reasons. And like schools at night are scary. Like they're dark. There's only like the emergency lights on unless you like flip all the lights on in the school, which is not good, you know, for power usage and whatnot. And it's just creepy. And I really like those sections, but so far they've made up about 20 minutes of maybe like the hour and a half to two hours I've played of it so far. But the rest of it, I mean, is just kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of like, uh, I, it just makes me like roll my eyes a little bit because basically like what you're supposed to derive fear from in this game is like religion. And like, I, I'm really kind of over that being used as like a subtext for horror and horror movies and horror games and horror TV shows and stuff like that. Because like, I mean, there's like a shitload of people out there that are religious, that, you know, that are Christian, that are Muslim, that are Catholic, that are whatever. And, you know, the the vast, vast, vast majority of them have no, like, ill will about them or whatever. And then, you know, but it seems like it's such a prevalent theme in games or, you know, scary stories like this where it's like, ooh, religion, it corrupted everyone. And now they're like part of some crazy cult and they like kill people and kidnap them. And it's just like... I don't know. It seems like this story would have been interesting, like maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, but it's just not really that interesting right now. And cause I feel like it's kind of been done to death. Um, and, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm playing this game almost more of, um, as like, a, instead of like creeping around and being like scared of shit, I'm just kind of like trying to be like smart and strategic and which is kind of the point. Cause there's sometimes there's people like hunting you with flashlights and you have to find a way around them and, and it's almost like a, I'm not, you know, hiding here because I'm scared. I'm hiding here because, like, I'm trying to take control of the situation and, and like, know what to do. And so there's, like, an element of fear that gets lost in that where you know there's nothing you can do to defend yourself. And so you just have to, like, live with what happens and try to be really strategic about the way you go around. And I think that for the most part, scary video games that don't have any kind of combat in them are worse than the ones that do have combat. Um, and uh, I, uh, I just prefer, like, Resident Evil 7 is a really good example of, like, a game like this that has combat, and I think that the combat adds a good layer of intensity more often than not in the game. But, you know, by the same token, Soma is one of uh, my favorite games of the past few years, and it has it's basically the same thing. It has no combat, but you're hiding and you're running and stuff, and... But Soma actually has an interesting story laid over everything where Outlast 2 does not. And maybe that's kind of like where it's losing me a little bit. But um, I mean, I'm going to keep playing Outlast 2. I can't promise that I'll finish it, but it's just not as scary as I want it to be. It's almost like and I'm getting kind of annoyed with its themes. So it's becoming less scary to me, like by the minute. But it, of course, it has room to go somewhere. And I hope that it will go somewhere and get, I don't know, more intense over the course of the game, I hope. 
Well, that's interesting. Um, we had a reviewer do cover this game on our site, and it was uh, not you. It was Cliff Goldsmith, uh, who is from the UK, and I believe he's on the Dark Insight podcast. Good guy. I love Cliff. Uh, very good guy. Um, and he, one of the things that I recalled reading about in his review was that he said it was scary at first, but it got to the point of where he was just more annoyed than anything else. And so as soon as he got annoyed, like all the fear fell away. And that sounds very much like what you're describing. So I don't think that I would try this because I, I just guarantee it's already too scary for me just even hearing you talk about it. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, a fine line and I don't have a lot of, um, expertise in this area, but, I guess, what is the difference, um, apart from the story, is there a mechanical difference for you between Soma and uh, Outlast 2, where it seems like on the surface, or maybe even Alien Isolation, I don't know if you like that one or not. but Oh, I love Alien Isolation. Okay, so good. So what is the difference in this, like, hiding game? I don't know what you, what you want to call it, like, defenseless horror <laughs> or, you know, no fighting horror, whatever you want to call this genre where you're just hiding what makes it good and what makes it bad? It can't just be story. I mean, there must be some mechanical element to it, no? I think, I mean, story plays a huge part in it. I also think that the setting plays a huge part in it because in Soma, you're in a research facility on the bottom of the ocean. It, it is a very, um, it's very science fiction. It deals with a lot of, uh, you know, science fiction, like, you know, what, uh, what is man? What does it mean? What, uh, you know, what does it mean to be alive? You know, what is humanity worth saving? Like those kind of questions. Um, and there are stretches of Soma where you're not being chased or there's not like enemies directly around and you can just kind of do some exploring and really kind of get a sense of where you are. And there's other sometimes there's a companion talking to you over your headset and so you get a sense of like other humanity and like space and time and that kind of thing whereas outlast 2 um i mean you're just like in the woods like you're in this like old village you know in the woods and every all the houses are kind of like old and look like they were put together by hand and i just feel like it's a setting that I just am maybe too familiar with or that I've seen too much or that is, you know, added to it with like the whole religion thing that just isn't really grabbing me. And it sounds so stupid for me to like compliment Soma on that because hello, like Bioshock and Narcosis, which I just played are like all also bottom of the ocean research facility video games. Um, but uh, I don't know, just like, I mean, Outlast just... There, it's just, it feels like it's been done to death as far as the story and the setting and like the main character, Blake, uh, I've probably said this on the, on the podcast before, but, um, I, I have a real problem with characters who won't shut their mouths during video games. And he's one of those people where like, he'll like, say you like walk into a section and there's like a person patrolling, like, you know, 50 feet away or something like he, he, it's one of those video games where he'll do a voiceover and be like, oh, I really need to hide. And it's like, okay, Blake, first of all, I understood that without you saying it. And second of all, there's a person like 30 feet away from you. So should you really be like shouting out loud that you need to hide? It's just like little things like that, that like really like great on me whenever I play video games. And I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I have no idea if that answered your question at all, but that, those are my immediate thoughts about what you said. I w so how does that factor in uh, compared to Alien Isolation then? Because I did actually try that one and I bounced off it real hard. I don't know. Have we ever discussed that on the show before or no? Uh, I don't think so, but I freaking love Alien Isolation. Oh, man. I did. I disliked it so hard. I, I did not play very far. I think maybe like two hours max because even though I am a big Alien fan and I was uh, ready to put on my big boy pants and play this one and... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, put my fear aside and get through it. I, I, you know, maybe it is the little things, maybe in something so um, nuanced like this run and hide type of genre, it is little things that matter. Because what I remember most about that game was number one, I got lost a few times and I, I don't recall the details of it, but I remember like wandering around and feeling bored because I didn't know where to go. But then the other thing that really got me and the thing, honestly, that broke me with that game was not being able to, to crawl over very, very low obstacles. Like, I remember there being some obstacles where it was, like, trivial. It was like, you know, a toddler could have gotten over these things. Uh, and I just remember being stuck, like, you know, this, like, vent or something that's, like, a foot and a half tall had fallen across a walkway, and I couldn't get past it. And just being so frustrated because I knew I needed to go to the other side. And, of course, they're going to funnel me through this thing to get there. But, like, the way they did it was just so – took me out of the experience, like, hardcore. Like, I couldn't buy into what was going on because that type of thing really just, like, ruined the immersion for me. And I don't hear a lot of people complaining about that, so maybe that's just me. Um, but maybe maybe that's kind of what the point is. Maybe if there's enough of an immersion break, like, you either – you buy it or you don't. For me – did not. And it kind of sounds like with Outlast 2, like you're just not really hooked into it. So you're maybe not going along with the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really hooked in from the start, but I also, I mean, I get what you're saying about Alien because there, there's definite stuff in that game where you walk up to a ledge that's like a foot high. And instead of her walking over, you have to like walk 15 feet down to get the stairs, you know, the three stairs that take you up or something like that. Um, and I mean, I, I, that seems like something that I would ordinarily complain about in a video game, but I guess maybe I could suspend my disbelief for it, or maybe because I was trying to, you know, stay on like the path that the game wanted me to go on or something like that. But I also want to make it clear that Alien Isolation has combat in it. It is not one of those defenseless, you know, you can't oh, that's true. No, you're fight correct. back games. Um, I apologize. So, yeah. In the section that I was in, I hadn't gotten a weapon yet, I don't think. I hadn't really done any of the combat. So you are correct. You are correct. Yeah. And I mean, it does, it takes a little while to get, you know, to a gun or to something that you can fight with. And honestly, fighting in that game is uh, often not the best solution. And sometimes, I mean, with the alien itself, like you can't kill the alien, but you can, I mean, if you have like the flamethrower and it shows up, you can like, you know, shoot the flamethrower and it'll scare it away, which I think is uh, great. But I, I mean, I got frustrated the first time I played that game because whenever there are the sections that the alien shows up, I thought that they were way too hard and I would be hiding and you have your neat little like audio thing that shows like where the alien's coming from and it tries to like tell you how far away the alien is. And I felt like I could I could only move like 10 feet at a time before I had to hide in another closet or something. And I got really, really frustrated the first time I played it, but I had to just kind of like, you know, bite the bullet the second time I put it in and, you know, just go with it and really kind of power through the first alien encounter before... Um, I realized that, you know, it does get a little bit easier the more you get equipped and the more you can handle situations. And the even better thing about Alien Isolation is uh, I was thinking about this earlier, is that they actually patched in a very easy mode into it whenever, uh, like a while after release, they patched in a very easy and a very hard mode. And the second time I went back and played that game, because I think the first time I played it on medium, um, I played it on very easy. And it was like such a smoother experience because shit wasn't as deadly as it usually is the first time around and i mean i enjoyed it both times but it was uh much less frustrating the second time around because i got to play it on very easy okay that makes sense that makes sense so all right well i am definitely not gonna play outlast 2 any <laughs> any final thoughts on that before we move on Corey? uh i don't think so i'm sure i'll i'm definitely gonna play it again so i'm sure i'll have updates in the future but um 
so far, it's just all right. It's not anything that different than Outlast 1. So if you really liked Outlast 1, I recommend it. If you bounced hard off Outlast 1, um, then I probably would not recommend this. <laughs> Good advice. Good advice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I got a couple more things uh, to talk about. And ironically, ironically enough, even though I just got done saying that I don't like alphas and I barely ever play the Xbox, my next thing is an alpha on the Xbox again. <laughs> uh, it was funny because I, I figured since I had the Xbox on, I would simply, you know, I would go through whatever I had really quickly just to kind of get a good feel and see if anything was going to grab me. Uh, I want to talk about Astro Near, which is developed, published by System Era Softworks. And I think they're in Seattle. I'm not 100% sure. I'm pretty sure they're in Seattle, though. Um, again, on the Early Access Xbox preview program, came out December 16th. Boy, it seems like it came out earlier than that. But yeah, that probably is about right. It is not finished. It is by no means finished. I think it is just, it's still an alpha, very, very early. Um, but the reason I'm checking this out was I saw it at PAX West, I think maybe last year or the year before. Maybe it was last year. And the thing that really struck me, ironically enough, it's funny that these conversations are all kind of making a big circle, is when I saw it, it looked like... The first thing that came to mind was, oh, this looks like No Man's Sky, but it doesn't suck. Like It <laughs> seemed exactly like it was addressing all the things that people were mad about, about No Man's Sky. And it, that's, it totally just reminded me of that so much. Um so I have a copy of this on the Xbox One, and like I said, it's 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 in a hard alpha right now. It's nowhere near done, uh, which is a bummer because, as we mentioned in uh, the last segment, I don't want to play an early access game if I like it because then I really want to play more, and it's not done, and that is exactly the case. I think Astroneer is really, really neat, and I'm pissed that it's not done. So basically, you start off as a astronaut, and you can play by yourself, or it accommodates up to, I believe, four people multiplayer at the same time. Cooperative. You land on this alien planet, and all you have is, like, your little landing pod. And so you need to gather some resources uh, nearby. You bring those back to your pod, and then you can make these other, other attachments to your pod. Like, at first, it's just like a, a seat with a rocket on it, basically. Then you can make, like, a little science lab. The science lab makes some things after you get the right components. You can make, like, a little... I don't know, some kind of other little station, rock processing station or something, or ore processing station. You can make, like, all these little attachments, things. And you can also make uh, extensions for your air, your air hose. So you have to stay pretty close to your ship at first. But once you find some of the material that you can make more air hose with, you can extend that air hose, like, really, really far. And you can, you know, eventually cover, like, the rest of the planet. It's kind of a goofy thing, but kind of a neat thing, too. It's kind of a... It, it, it's... I think it adds like a very slight element to the exploration where you're not just willy nilly wandering around wherever you want. Like you kind of have to be mindful of where your air supply is at. So it kind of puts just like a very, very slight layer of tension on. Not very much because it's very easy to stay uh, breathing. But I do think that adds a little bit. But basically, you walk around, it's in third person, and you just explore this planet. Sometimes you'll come across wrecked ships and you like salvage some metal from the wrecked ship. Sometimes you'll find. Uh, just ore that you can dig up. It's He's got a, a tool, or he or she, whatever. They're genderless. You're inside a spacesuit. You can't see anything. Um, they have a, a, a mining tool, which is very similar to No Man's Sky, uh, from the videos I've seen, where you can dig down and like uh, excavate stuff that's under the ground, and you bring it back to your ship, and you just kind of keep building your base, like adding on to that initial pod bigger and bigger and bigger. 
I don't know what the endpoint is. I'm not sure if the developers know what the endpoint is. There may not be an endpoint. Like, I mean, this is really, really alpha. Like, the the physics were kind of messed up in certain aspects. Some of the systems didn't seem like they were working. But they had a lot of the graphics in. They had the basic control scheme in. And uh, just from the bit that I played, I thought it was really cool. I really like the vibe a lot. I like the UI is neat because a lot of the stuff that you do when you're working with these minerals and stuff is like it's all kind of done through these buttons and gizmos on your backpack. So it kind of looks like you you pick up some ore and then your backpack will change. Like it'll be stored in your backpack or it'll be processed through your backpack or something. It's kind of hard to describe, but it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Dead Space where instead of having a UI that was on the screen, the UI in Dead Space was integrated into the main character's suit. So like there were lights on his suit that represented his life. Whenever he needed to look at a map, he could project a laser beam out into the world. Whenever he um, needed to go into the inventory, it was a hologram that was projected from his wrist. So it was a very, very uh, elegant, very smart way of addressing UI. It feels similar here where you have this giant bulky backpack and it does many of those same things. Like it'll visually represent what you have. It has a certain number of chambers so you know when you're getting full. If you need to move things around, it'll move around in your backpack. Very, very clever. Very clever. Very elegant. I like that a lot. There's a lot of good ideas going on here. Um, I just want the fucking thing to be done. And I tweeted the developers. <clears throat> excuse me. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys, this is really fun. I'm just really digging this a lot. And like, when is this going to be done? And just like dead silence, like no response. So I don't know if they didn't see my tweet. Maybe it was busy. It was kind of getting near E3. So they may have just not seen it. Um, I'll probably hit them up again. And I think I know a couple of people on the development team. And I haven't reached out to them yet, but. I just think this is really cool. It's really, really early, so I can't really, like, you know, recommend it. I mean, a lot of things can happen between here and release. Um, and this seems like it may be one of those games that's going to be lingering um, for a while. I don't think that they're anywhere near being done with it. But it seems so cool, and I really want them to hurry up and finish it. Uh, a lot of promise on this one, because I could go for something that was semi-spacey, but kind of laid back. But you got some stuff to do, but you're not really too worried about dying. You know, like, one of those kind of chill-out games where it feels like you're doing something, but it's not really requiring all of your focus you know like you can kind of play it but it's mellow very friendly very colorful art style is great in case i didn't mention that so i really like it a lot and i really wish that they would be done with it because i really want to dig into this and play and i don't want to play anymore now because i don't want to get tired of it or burn myself out before it's actually finished but you know honestly who knows when it's going to be finished i have no idea (laughs) so i don't know i mean if you saw this one for sale. I would probably recommend this one to you over the other one uh, that we talked about earlier, Everspace. I don't know that this would be your jam, but I bet this might be more your jam than the other one just because it's so cool and I think there's a couple really neat features in it. Um, And I know that you kind of like your walking sims or you kind of love them. And even though this has nothing to do with walking sims at all, I think that same vibe of like just kind of taking in the atmosphere, um, just kind of absorbing, just being somewhere, it's kind of got that feeling to it too. So... I don't know. What do you think, Corey? Is this is this? Uh, and it's not a Corey ass game, but is it is it a Corey game? Uh, it might be. I do want to uh, correct myself, though. I stand corrected about um, whenever I was describing box art for the last game you talked about. This is actually the game I was thinking about while you were talking. I looked up the box art real quick and realized that this is actually the box art I was talking about. But it probably says something about games in 2017 where. You can describe two games and they both sound exactly like No Man's Sky, even though neither of them are like No Man's Sky. And uh, 
I, uh, I don't know if I would play this, but I mean, seriously, if this is like your jam right now, you might as well just suck it up and put No Man's Sky in because pretty much everything you just described except for like the third person view and like the clever backpack, like UI controls, this pretty much sounds like if you had just explained that without the name of the game, I probably would have been like, oh, he's definitely talking about No Man's Sky, but you're not. You're talking about this game that is not going to be finished for like 100 years. Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, see, that's the thing is like I kind of like before No Man's Sky came out, I did kind of think that might be my jam. But I mean, you know, we don't have to rehash the whole thing, but all the all the negativity that came out around it, all of the problems, all the talk about the game not being, you know, complete or not having enough content and, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And honestly, some of those videos that came out around No Man's Sky were like ridiculous, like some of the dumb animals and some of the weird stuff that was happening it just looked like oh god this doesn't look that great so uh, i definitely want to come to it i mean like i said i bought it but i really want it to be finished or as finished as possible so I, I probably will get to it at some point and my son has asked a few times to play it but i don't want to bust it out yet because i haven't played it myself and in our house uh you know the phrase uh, parental guidance really means something so whenever we do something with my son we always like play it first or we watch it first, or we read up on it first. Like we make sure we know what's going on. And when when he's playing a game, like I, he he'll ask a question inevitably. And if it's a game that I don't know, and he asks me a question and I can't answer, that fucking blows. Like I like to always have the answers, and I know how I can help him or what potential trouble spots might be. It just makes the whole experience go smoother. So I have not let him crack into it either. But he, it's on his radar for some reason, and it's it's still on mine. But we'll see. Um, but I really like Astroneer a lot. I mean, I know it's really early. I like what I've seen so far. Seems so full of potential, so colorful, so cool. And I, I really, really hope this is one that doesn't linger, like, and just kind of disappear or maybe never gets done. Or, I, I you know, a lot of things can happen to an early access game. Um, and a lot of early access games never leave early access, which is also terrible. So I'm really pulling for these guys. I'm going to try to reach out to them again and see if I can talk to them and see what's going on and get more info because... It, this, to me, seems like a winner. This seems like a really big winner. I got a good vibe over it. Um, but, you know, you just never know. You never know. It's true. Yeah. So, Corey, you got something else uh, to discuss tonight. Uh, perception? What is perception? Tell me about perception. Perception is... And I was very excited about this game whenever I saw, like, some stuff, like, floating around about it, some, like, early details before it came out. And full disclosure, I will be reviewing this on uh, Game Critics. So um, I do have a review copy that I'm playing right now. I've only played it for about an hour. Um, but Perception is... I, I'm, like, on a super-duper kick of, like, first-person horror right now. And maybe, like, that's part of the reason why Alice isn't doing it for me because I feel like I've just been playing, like either like one first person horror game after another, like mixed with like a walking sim in there. So maybe I just need to play something completely different, but perception surprise is a first person, uh, kind of like suspense, uh, walking sim narrative game where you play as a young woman named Cassie. And the hook is that she is blind and you might think, okay, well, how is it a first person game if she's blind? Well, the point is, although she is blind, she has sort of like a daredevil, like sixth sense where her other senses are like heightened because she can't see anything. And because she's blind, she has her walking cane that she walks with. And when you walk around in the game, there's a button and she'll hit her cane on the ground or like wherever the reticle is pointing, she'll like uh, swing the, the cane out. 
And it sets off like an echolocation vision thing where if anything makes noise around her or if she hits the cane on something, it kind of like drenches the world in these like sound waves that kind of wash over everything temporarily. And then when stuff quiets back down and the screen goes black and uh, every time she makes a, like if you don't slap the cane and she just is walking around, her footsteps will illuminate a certain amount in front of you uh, because, you know, they make noise and it bounces off stuff. So the idea is super, super neat. Like I saw some preview stuff for this game. I was really interested in it because like, I mean, as far as I know, this kind of thing hasn't really been done in a video game before. I don't think I've ever played a game like this, um, you know, a first person game where the character's blind. Um, the I can think first... of one. I can think of one. Uh, and it was what terrible. Is it? Uh, it was called, I don't know, it was called like Beyond Eyes or something like that. It was an indie oh. game. It was Beyond awful. Eyes. I think I gave it like a one or something oh, like that. It no. was, it was really bad. So it's, it, <laughs> people have tried and I'm very interested because I, I have not seen people do it yet, but uh, keep, keep talking. Tell me more about this. This is interesting. Well, this game is about Cassie and she goes to, um, a, she's been having nightmares recently about this mansion that might or might not be haunted in Massachusetts. And so she decides to just meet the mystery head on and she, I don't know where she's from, but she flies to Massachusetts or she goes there or something. I was going to say drives, but obviously she can't drive there. Um, she goes to Massachusetts and um, the you know toward the beginning of the game she's in front of this mansion and like one of the big like kind of selling screenshots for the game that came up uh, anytime you search it on the internet is like uh, looking up at this mansion in first person view and it's so cool because it's really windy outside and so you can see like the sound waves of the wind like blowing over the mansion front and that's how you can see the walkway up to the mansion and it just looks it looks really cool the way that they do you know the kind of sound wave stuff in the game and she basically kind of goes on this one-person journey to this mansion to figure out why why it's haunting her, what the visions mean, what her nightmares mean, and to try to connect with it, to see if anybody lives there or see if there's maybe something from her past there. And I haven't played it enough to like really like dig into what's going on because when she gets there, she starts hearing these like kind of like flashback visions from people that maybe they're ghosts or maybe they're people that used to live there who like you know their spirits linger or something the game hasn't made it clear if it's like gonna go full on into like haunted territory or if it's just like her having like little visions or something um and at first i i kind of wasn't really enjoying it as much as i thought i was going to because you like get to the house and you go in and you're walking around and it seems very i mean it's an indie studio it's developed by uh the deep end games and published by fear demic i've uh who i've never heard of either of these people before um it came out on may 30th for pc and june 6th so it's pretty recent um and the cool thing is the switch version is allegedly in the works so that's kind of neat because i don't feel like the switch or the wii u or the wii see a ton of indie development but um that's kind of beside the point uh and the, the whole thing just kind of feels like an indie game. Like whenever you put in a walking sim and you're like, okay, like, you know, I can kind of tell that maybe this game doesn't have combat and enemies because as it turns out, doing character models in combat is a really hard thing to do. And like not every, you know, indie game company can do that. Like it just kind of has that like slight, like low budget feeling where you're just like walking around a house, you're tapping the cane. Um, there's like certain things in the environment where you can like listen to like audio logs and stuff like that. Like it's kind of drenched in some of those like um, kind of like passe like game things. Um, but after about an hour, 
because um, I was under the impression that this was supposed to be like a horror game. And so when you get in the house, it kind of is assumed that nobody's in the house. And after a certain amount of walking around, I was not scared really anymore because I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to walk around and like tap my cane on shit. And like every once in a while, like there's a part where you open a car door um, in the garage and there's like an owl in the car and you can't see the owl because it's not making any noise. So her little like sound wave vision won't show it. And then all of a sudden it like flies out of the out of the car and it like lights up red and sends these like red like owl shaped sound waves at, at her face and I mean it's kind of like it didn't actually scare me it's more of like a cheesy like jump scare that wasn't really that scary but it's still kind of a neat idea of like something being around that you can't hear so therefore you can't see it but I got to a certain point in the game and this is actually right before I stopped playing um and I will pick this back up like 100% for sure um I just had to stop playing um where you get the sense that there is something in the house with you. Maybe it's a person or maybe it's like, uh, and I mean, it's like a, like a threatening sense, not like the ghost visions that she was seeing earlier. Um, and uh, it's just like, it, it gives me a really good, a good feeling of being, um, of being scared of not wanting to move forward because I don't know what is in there. Like I talked about this a long time ago with uh, whenever the Resident Evil 7 demo came out, what I called the, the doorway test or passing the doorway test for horror games, where my doorway test is if I sense something in the environment that's so scary that I literally don't want to walk through a door or I like do the thing where I like strafe around like one side of the door to peek down the hallway and then strafe around the other side of the door to peek down the hallway instead of just walking out the door, then like that pretty much seals the deal that it's passing my doorway test. And for a while, perception was not, but once uh, I discovered that there might be something in the house, I have started uh, creeping around very, um, very uh, cautiously because like her footsteps, uh, they make sound and they give her vision, but it's also like you don't want to make too much noise because maybe the noise will alert whatever thing is in the house. And I don't know, the game hasn't established yet because I haven't actually seen whatever the enemy is, if it like is something that can attack her and kill her or if it's something that maybe just haunts her around the house. But I, I was like cooling off on it pretty quickly. And then like right at the right time, the game pushed this idea that there might be something in the house on me. And suddenly I was kind of like, you know, brought back in and I actually felt a good sense of fear and a good sense of, you know, just uneasiness about what's in the house and what can it do and how should I move in order to avoid it or something like that. Because I don't think she can fight anything because she can't, she can't see anything. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it was very interesting at the start. It kind of dipped a little bit early, but then as soon as like, you know, it's it set in the course that there might be an enemy in the house, I was, I became much more interested in it. So I'm excited to put it back in. I'm excited to, to play it some more, and hopefully it'll keep that tension up and uh, and will will stay that way for me. Dang, that sounds pretty creepy, bro. Like at first I was like, oh, it's another walking sim, whatever. But like once you, you know, like once you said the words of like there might be something in the house where they're like, I was like, Oh God, it's creeping me out. Like, <laughs> you know, because there's been many movies, um, where the, the protagonist is like disabled in some way They're whether they're deaf or whether they're blind or something. And that like automatically just as a viewer makes you feel like, Oh God, like, you know, they're missing like an entire sense. And like, how are people going to, you know, take advantage of that? And like, you know, what a disadvantage that person might be at if someone is hunting them or if there's some danger nearby, uh, you know, not to say that disabled people are helpless or anything, but like, you know, if someone's a killer is stalking you and you're blind, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty huge disadvantage. 
Um, so that, that, like at first I was, I was, you know, I have this virtual list in my head and you're talking about it. I'm like, nah. <laughs> and then you started talking about it, like, oh wait, maybe, maybe like that sounds pretty intriguing. Uh, you know, as, as fans of the show will know, I'm not up for scary games, but this sounds kind of interesting. This sounds a little bit different and I'm, I'm okay to put up with scary if there's, uh, if it's not just fucking jump scares all the time or if it's not just <laughs> something like that. So, oh man. Okay. I want to, I want to hear more about this when you uh, put some more time in. Um, I think that this is the inaugural game from the developer. You said they're called the deep end. Is that correct? The deep end. Yes. Yeah. I think this is their first game. I'm pretty sure. So, um, I will have to check them out and, uh, yeah, we will touch base on this one again. Um, yeah. Oh boy. I'm going to have nightmares tonight. Cause like you just, <laughs> you just said that thing and now I've got my brain spinning about all the different ways that could play out. And, oh man, that's, that sounds fucking creepy, bro. Like, but, but maybe good creepy. Like that sounds like a decent creepy. So yeah, I hope it's, it's good. And something else to note about this game that I didn't even realize until I started doing research on it before the show for like the show notes is that, um, I guess this, uh, the deep end games was founded by a bunch of people that left irrational games games after they worked on Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. So it's interesting because like the the quality of work here does not suggest that these developers came from such a like high end and, you know, like uh, like great developer, if you will, because Bioshock, I mean, a lot of people say that Bioshock is like one of the greatest games of our generation and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I like Bioshock, but I don't know if I'd go that far. Um, and, you know, Bioshock Infinite has its fans and has its critics, but I think it's pretty fascinating that there were like a bunch of people that left Irrational to work on this game. I mean, this is like, I feel like this game has some big, some big daddy shoes to fill. If oh, you will. snap. We haven't had one of those gems in a while. <laughs> nice. <laughs> on Father's Day, no less. Yeah, exactly, man. Boy, you do the dad jokes better than I do sometimes, man. I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> you get honorary dad jokes, I guess. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Any final thoughts on perception? Uh, not yet. I will definitely jump in more. Uh, like I said, I'm reviewing this for game critics. So for sure, unless it goes South, like way South, I will play the whole game and write about it, but I will, I will keep the show updated on my thoughts as I continue to play it. Well, with people with that kind of pedigree, I would kind of expect good things. I'm hoping that you're going to come back with a favorable report, but we will see. We'll move on, but we will check back in on perception um soon just one more game to talk about tonight and i will be taking uh this final slot here um so i mentioned earlier that i was kind of looking around for a game to settle into uh it wasn't everspace it wasn't astroneer um i had a bunch of other things in the in the backlog but nothing was really kind of catching my attention and i recalled that gamefly had sent me neo a while ago n-i-o-h um which is the Souls-like third-person action combat game from Team Ninja. Uh, and that came out, I believe... Oh, February 7th. Thank you for that information. Uh, Corey Motley, who has awesome notes right here in front of me because I was too lazy <laughs> to look it up, came out earlier this year. Um, yeah, so it's a third-person action, very Souls-like, um, you know, stamina meter, uh, spooky environments, monsters to fight, lots of upgrades, abilities. Very Souls-like in many ways, but not, but also not in, in other ways. So I, <clears throat> full disclosure, excuse me. Um, I don't like team Ninja, uh, at all. <laughs> I haven't liked any of their games. None of them. I don't like the Ninja guide end games. Mm -hmm. I know that people say those games are awesome. I think those games are 
fucking garbage. You I, are garbage, um, Brad. Do you actually like those fucking games, dude? Uh, Ninja Gaiden Black is my absolute gold standard for a third-person hack and slash. Oh style my god! Game. Okay, absolutely. Let's, let's take a moment then. Let's take a moment. Anybody who's got a calendar open, put a red red circle on your calendar, uh, because you know I I think we we run a pretty congenial podcast. I think. Even when we disagree, I think we don't really disagree that much, and we're in agreement a large portion of the time. I could not disagree with you more on that. Mm. I fucking hate Ninja Gaiden. I hate Ninja Gaiden Black. I hate Team Ninja. I think they're so overrated, and I do not like their style of action at all. I think they've got fundamental flaws, especially when it comes to, like, camera, and I think they ask too much of the player. I don't like these guys. And Tomonobu Itagaki, the guy who is behind them, what a dick. What a dick. I just, I don't like Team Ninja at all. Is that mad? You make him mad, Corey? You mad? Uh, not really. I mean, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, people like him, people don't. I don't think that, I mean, I don't really have anything great to say about Team Ninja as a whole. And like Itagaki, I mean, yeah, he might be kind of a douche, but um, I, I just, I absolutely adore Ninja Gaiden. I think that the, those kind of games are really hard without being too hard and i think that they struck the perfect oh, boss fights aside because all the boss fights in those games are absolute horseshit but um boss fights aside like the the enemy like from encounter to encounter it struck the absolute perfect difficulty because uh, basically you have to block 99 percent of the time when you're not attacking and if you take your finger off that block button for like a second and a half your ass is fucking toast and i just love how quick and how intense the action is without, well, while still being fair, like, cause most of the time when you die in the Ninja Gaiden games, you, you know, it's your fault. You know, you fucked up somewhere and that, you know, you need to keep your finger on that trigger for the block button. And what's interesting is I actually played, um, Neo whenever it was in like the PlayStation four beta or whatever. Cause they had like a demo out for it. Um, because I thought, okay, I've never been into Dark Souls. I think I tried um, Demon Souls. I tried Dark Souls 2, I think. And those games are just not, they're not my jam. They're a little too hard for me. I don't really like uh, the mechanics of them. But I gave, I gave a couple of them a shot. So I thought, okay, if I love Team Ninja games like Ninja Gaiden, and if I didn't like the Dark Souls games, then maybe Neo will be like the perfect thing for me. And I tried the demo and I didn't really like it. So I guess maybe they lean a little bit too much souls for me. But uh, but yeah, I guess I didn't mean to hijack your segment on Neo. Uh, continue talking about it. What, what no, do you this think? is, this is good like. chat. This is good chat. Like, we're, I want to pursue this a little bit more. Like why, okay, okay. like, why did you not like Neo? You played the alpha or the beta? Because they did have two separate ones. Which one did you play? Do you remember? Oh. I don't remember. I remember it was like a free demo like a year ago on the PlayStation 4 that I tried. Okay, so it could have been it could have been either one. Those came out fairly close together and uh, they said they wanted feedback from the community and blah 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 all that stuff. Um, so that's so fascinating to me because I don't think of you and maybe this, maybe maybe this is my fault. Maybe I'm showing my my lack of knowledge <laughs> about my trusty co-host here. Because I don't think of you as a fast action game guy at all. Like, I, you know, you're the horror guy. You're the walking sim guy. Like, you know, sometimes you play the weird game. But I don't think of you as being an action game. Are you secretly a closet action gamer? I mean, I can be. I mean, it just depends because, like, I mean, I, I mean, if we're talking about, like, shooters, I mean, I can certainly get behind an action shooter. Like, I love to Doom, you know, like Wolfenstein. Like, those are really fun, like, fast, aggressive shooters. But I really don't play that many, like, 
hand-to-hand style or like melee weapon uh, action games. And I think that that's why like Ninja Gaiden holds such a special place for me because I played the first one, I played Black, I played uh, 2 on the Xbox 360, I played some of Sigma, the remake for the first one on the PlayStation 3, and I think that's when I stopped. No, actually, I played a little bit of um, Ninja Gaiden 3 on on uh, Xbox 360, but it was just a little bit too hard for me. Um, but I, I don't know. I can get behind a good hack and slash action game if it's not too hard if i can grip the mechanics of it i mean because i love dmc like i think dmc is fantastic and but i think dmc is too easy like i wouldn't put that in ninja gaiden like on the same level of difficulty like at all because i think it's it's much more easy and it's much uh it's probably better for it because not every game has to be this like really difficult like strenuous thing but um i don't know like i pick and choose the ones that i like i guess but i don't play like you know, every kind of hack and slash game that comes out. Interesting. I'm very surprised by that. I never in a million years would have guessed that uh, because my experience at Ninja Gaiden was just really terrible. Uh, I tried, <laughs> I tried really hard to get into that game and I did not like it at all. And I'm no stranger to hard games, but it struck me as the kind of hard where it just pissed me off, where it just felt like if you could not produce exactly what they wanted you to produce in terms of like how your hands were working that controller, you were just fucked. I just had so many moments of real extreme frustration and feeling like a uh, thing that it was unfair. I mean, part of it, a lot of it had to do with the camera. I remember many times feeling like I wasn't getting a very good view or not an optimal view of what was going on. And sometimes the bosses, I mean, the bosses, like you said, they were horseshit. I totally agree with that. Like, I think the bosses are just way over the top uh, in Ninja Gaiden, like getting to the bosses and just fucking just wanting to hurl my fucking controller across the room because I just felt like it was complete, complete bullshit. Like, hitting way too hard, moving way too fast and just like to just, just not being fun. So I'm very surprised by that. Um, but we're not here to talk about Ninja Gaiden or Gaiden. <laughs> sorry. Whichever way. Uh, fuck that game. God, fuck that game. God, <laughs> fuck that game. Hate it. Hate that fucking game. So I was very hesitant to get into Neo. Uh, as, as you can tell, I'm a very big fan of Teen Ninja. Uh, but something about the alpha, I, I played the alpha when it came out and I thought it was way too hard but I kind of liked the setting. Like the samurai setting was kind of cool. Samurai plus supernatural, kind of cool. Uh, I the mechanics of it, where you had like a couple different weapons, I thought was kind of neat. You have stances where you can hold your weapon high, medium, and low, and that will change the move set of the weapon. You can also sheath the weapon, and that will change what you can do as well. Uh, all the armor had like all these different like abilities that were attached to it. You can have also like two different kinds of magic. There's like a ninja magic and there's also just like a like a spiritual kind of magic. I'm not really um, too knowledgeable about what that type of magic may be, if it's based on anything or what. Uh, but it seemed like there was a lot in there. But when I played the alpha, I, it was just really, really hard. I felt like I died a lot. Um, I got to the boss in the alpha and it was just way too hard. Like it was traditional ninja, ninja and Gaiden horse shit. Like you said, it was just like, you know, two hits, you were dead. He moved too fast and it was just really frustrating. So that was what I expected, but there was still a little kernel of something that stuck with me where I'm like, you know, this wasn't all bad. And since it was an alpha, since they were getting feedback, I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe something will come of this. So I didn't play the beta, which again, boy, we're full circle again. I didn't play the beta because in the off chance that I played Neo, I didn't want to be sick of it because in order to, uh, okay. So like backing up a little bit, if you finish the alpha, they gave you some special DLC that would unlock the main game. So I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. Maybe I'll try and put out some effort for that. 
I did that. I finished the alpha and got the DLC. And then they did the same thing with the beta. But when you got into the beta, you had to play that same level again. And I'm like, I was already kind of getting tired of it. So I was like, well, if I'm tired of it now, I'm going to be really tired of it when the main game hits. So I'm like, I'm just not going to play. And, you know, at that point, I hadn't really considered whether I was going to actually play the game or not. I hadn't committed to it yet. So I'm like, I'm going to skip. But apparently they really paid attention to the feedback during that time. I think um, the weapon drops were different. The difficulty's different. Um, some of the enemies were in a different place. Like, when I finally got the new, the, the final version from Gamefly, I noticed immediately, like, it was much different from the alpha. Like, it was way easier. Um, it didn't feel as, as out to crush my balls as the alpha did. And, uh, you know, in a good way. I mean, if you're into that thing, totally separate discussion. But uh, for the purposes of this discussion, that was not a good thing. And I just was like, yeah, okay, it, it feels like a little more dialed in. So I decided to, to give it a shot, and I got to say, they really have done a great job on it. I think this is probably the first Team Ninja game where I actually, like, I really think it's a really good game, and technically, mechanically, it's very satisfying. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it shares the same problems that the other Team Ninja games have, and that the story is just, like, awful. Like, it's really <laughs> awful. Um, I don't remember anything good about the Ninja, uh, Gaiden stories. Uh, they also did Other M, which was a colossal, like, clusterfuck of yeah, cosmic proportions. Was. Yeah. That was awful. Um, the story this time around is awful as well. It's basically, from what I gather, they've taken a bunch of historical Japanese figures, which I don't know anything about, and they just kind of like, uh, it's like the Forrest Gump kind of, uh, I think someone had quoted that, like, it's like, uh, just all these famous figures show up. You don't, you know, they make a cameo. If you know who they are and if you're familiar with Japanese history, it probably means something to you. doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know who these guys are. I don't know why I should care. You're just kind of going from one place to the other. So the story is a wash for me. The story is nothing, but it really says something about Neo that I actually don't give a rat's ass about the story, but I still find the game really <laughs> fulfilling to play. Not true in most cases. In most cases, if the story is bad, it really turns me off. Uh, but in this case, uh, I, I think it's fine. And I, I want to ex- extrapolate on that a little bit because people know that I'm a, um, you know, I'm a Souls fan. I'm not a crazy Souls fan, but I'm a Souls fan for sure. But I'm not the kind of Souls fan that gives a shit about the story. Uh, I know that's weird to some people because some people really get into the lore and really like the story and putting things together and reading the item descriptions and getting these clues and making connections. I hate all that. I think it sucks. I really don't like it. Uh, I like when they just tell you something and, you know, I don't need everything spelled out for me, but, you know, reading item descriptions and like going on YouTube and watching videos that are theory and trying to put things together. It's not fun for me. I don't like to do that. And so as such, like um, every time I played a Souls game, I miss out on like 90% of the story. Like I just know the very bare bones basics. Um, Half of the NPCs, I don't know who they are or what happens to them because doing their quest is really hard and, and, and arcane and I can't figure it out. And I just, I just don't know. So Souls have never been about the story for me. It's about the setting, the graphics, the mechanics, just the feeling of how that game plays. That's the, the, the really satisfying part that keeps me hooked in. And that is what's replicated in Neo. Systemically, I think it's different from Souls. Similar, but different enough to where it does not feel like I'm playing Souls. Uh, but at the same time, um, it's satisfying enough to where I don't care that the story is rubbish. Like I just, like I go through and it's really satisfying to kill enemies to wield these different weapons and, and try out all the different moves. And uh, a, a thing where it really varies from Souls is that the drops are, are very different. Um, in, in Souls games, like when you get a weapon, it's usually a big deal. 
there's not that many. It's really tough to level them up, and so you usually have to commit to a weapon. Uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. But in this one, I mean, weapons drop like like literally every guy you kill will drop a weapon or a piece of armor or something. At first, I thought that was too much. But once I started going with it, it's kind of cool because you fight a little bit. They drop some gear. You take just like a minute break when you go into the menu and you see what's good. And so you get back to the action. It's kind of like a little mental break because sometimes the combat can be pretty intense and just all intensity all the time is no good. So I've actually kind of gotten quite fond of the weapon system and I'm constantly finding stuff that's better. So you're always like upgrading little by little by little, which is which is kind of neat. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. I also really like the just the way the game looks. It's very beautiful. They give you uh, a number of uh, options. You can have the best resolution. You can have the a stable frame rate or you can have I think like one or two other options where you you want it to look the way you want it to look. I opted for a constantly stable frame rate, and I'm really glad I went with that because it's been very smooth, rock solid, uh, despite a lot of action happening, and that's very important in a game like this. So that's great, nice option to have, and uh, just just overall, it feels really good to play. You can customize characters the way you want with the variety of weapons. There's many different play styles. Um, the gear you have can give you different buffs or uh, different abilities. You can specialize in magic if you want to do that. So. It's got a lot of the player-driven customiz uh, customization that Souls offers, and that's something I like about that series as well. Uh, but it just has its own flavor. Like, it feels different, and it plays very differently. But it's definitely got that fast Team Ninja action, for sure, especially when it comes to the bosses. Uh, the first boss, much easier than it was in the Alpha. That wasn't too much of a problem. Second boss, uh, classic Team Ninja horseshit. I was really upset about that. I don't know why they put that boss as a second boss, because I think that's going to turn a lot of people off. But after that, it's been much easier and very, very reasonable bosses. I mean, more stuff that you'd expect, like giant monsters where you don't need to have lightning fast reflexes and uh, a lot of interesting situations. I think overall, it's a really great package. I'm really enjoying it very much. Um, it, in fact, I'm enjoying it so much that I... Uh, Yesterday, I, I simply just, like, did the multiplayer for basically the whole day, which is something I never did in Souls. Like, um, I just I just offered myself up as someone who was available to be summoned into somebody else's game, and, you know, there still seems to be a pretty healthy amount of people playing. I had no problem finding a game. And I would just, like, either help somebody with a boss, or I would, like, run through a level with them. And it was just really pleasant to just enjoy this game's mechanics, just the feel of it. The weapons, the combat, the back and forth, the managing the stamina, it's all really, really dialed in. It just feels very pleasant to play um, tactilely and mechanically. So I gotta say, I'm very surprised. I am happy that they adjusted after the alpha and the beta. I think it ended up in a really good place. Um, I like the systems a lot. I like the graphics. I like the the themes, like the, the Japanese samurai themes are pretty cool. There's just a lot of stuff in there, a lot of systems to work on, a lot of stuff to unlock, a lot of stuff to discover, a lot of stuff to play with. A very rich game mechanically. Um, you know, the story is, is nothing. Like I would, I would, The story is awful, but it really says something that the, the other stuff makes up for it, and I really don't miss the story at all. So I'm surprised. I'm surprised I'm really liking it as much as I am, but I am really, really liking it. Um, do you think that you might give this game a second shot, Corey? You know, the whole time you've been talking about it, a lot of the stuff you've been saying, like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, god damn it! now I'm going to want to try this game again. I'm going to want to play it now that it's actually out and rent it and give it a shot. And then there's, like, there's, like, the devil on my other shoulder that's like, no, you know you're not going to like this whenever you play it. Why would you even think about playing it? Because you know that you're not going to be into it. So I, 
I don't know. This is one of those games that I might throw on my game like you if I'm in like an absolute like desert of gaming and have like nothing else to play. But because it sounds like the the way you describe it, it sounds like something I should be into. But I just know that the second I get my hands on it, I'm going to be like, nope, this is not working for me. Well, you should try. Throw it on your Game Five Hue and get it because I would I would like you to at least try it, and then you could maybe elaborate on why Ninja Gaiden works for you, but this one doesn't. I think that would be an interesting thing to kind of pick apart and see um, because I think that once you get a, a grasp on the systems, and granted that takes a little while because it's a pretty deep game and there's a lot of stuff to really figure out, a lot of stuff to to work through. But like once you get a grasp on it, I, I think it does have that same kind of like flow, that fast action. Uh, but maybe dialed back, like maybe like one notch. So I would be curious to know why that works for you, like with Ninja Gaiden, but this doesn't. Uh, also, if you get it, you know, at some point in the, in the near future, it seems like a pretty long game. So I'll probably still be playing it. We can uh, hook up and do some co-op. I think they have done some learning from the Soul series where it's like, you know, very, very difficult in general to kind of meet up with people in Souls. I mean, there used to be this thing where you had to be a certain level and then you had to be at a certain place and it was just like a complete pain in the ass. Uh, I think they've fixed the summoning system this time so you can actually hook up with a friend and they can join you. There are some caveats to it, but I think it's not as hard as it is in Souls. So if nothing else, we could run through a level together and I could, uh, you know, be your wingman and we can just go through and check it out. So You could just kill everything for me while I stand there, right? No, uh, that 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 is an option. That could happen. So, <laughs> anyway, I think, uh, one of the things that I think deters me from this, and maybe from Souls, is is the stamina meter itself. Because I don't like, you know, slashing my sword twice and then being told that I can't do it anymore, and having to like settle down, or you know, like dodging and slashing, and then having the game be like, oh wait, that's too much stuff. You gotta wait now for your stamina to go back up. Like, I think, I like, I get the point of stamina, because it means that you have to be very thoughtful about every movement that you make in a game, and every every dodge, every strike, and you have to, like, really make them count. But I just don't like playing as, like, an almighty warrior, and being told that I can't slash my sword more than, like, three times in, like, a two-second interval. I think that's absolute bullshit and maybe that's why i like double may cry and maybe why i like the ninja gaiden games because you can just slash away and block and dodge and jump and do everything as much as you want and not have to worry about like wearing yourself out interesting um that you bring that up because i didn't mention this earlier but you know like like the stamina meter as you're describing is very much how souls works like there's a stamina meter uh, light weapons take less stamina, heavy weapons take more, dodging uses up some, and then you gotta gotta wait for that to replenish before you take a next move. Uh, very thoughtful. I mean, I enjoy that. I think it's it's fun. I like that. But uh, the Team Ninja guys have taken that one step further in in Neo. So it's it starts out as the same thing where you do have a stamina meter, uh, light, heavy, dodging, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It all works the same, but they've added this move where if you launch a couple of attacks you see like this little kind of glowing light around you and if you hit like the r1 button at the right time you gain like a lot of stamina back so it's it becomes kind of like this active combat system where you're taking your shots carefully still but then you have to uh like also watch your stamina and if you can hit the button at the right time and get that stamina refresh you can like continue pressing the attack forward so you're not necessarily taking a couple shots and then waiting and then taking a couple shots and waiting. If you're good with the timing and if you, you know, have your character uh, in a good zone where you feel very, very comfortable with them, 
I mean, you can like you can be really fierce on the offense and push it forward and push it forward and keep attacking and keep attacking. And that works um, for the enemies as well. They have stamina meters also. So when they get low on stamina, or if, you know, like blocking, we'll use them some stamina as well. If you if you have this fierce offensive and they're just blocking, 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 they eventually run out of stamina and they, they get left wide open for an attack. So I think um, they've, they, I think they've actually, I don't want to say they've improved on the soul stamina system, but I think they've taken it in a slightly different direction, which feels very different from, from souls for me. So I have to like pay much more attention. It's much more active um, because I'm always paying attention for the, uh, the lights to, to let me know when it's time to push the button to like refresh my stamina. So it kind of adds like another layer to it. And I think it, it keeps you a little busier possibly than uh, with some of the souls combat. I don't know if that's enough to sway you. I mean, it may not be uh, because if you do fuck that up, if you're not good with the timing, <laughs> it leaves you wide open and people will stab you in the motherfucking chest because you can't swing your sword. <laughs> so, but it's interesting though. I think it's interesting. I think it works pretty well. And I think it, it gives you more freedom to attack and be more aggressive without being just like a total button masher. Like you, you, you still can't mash buttons, but it's not where you're, you're just taking one sword swipe every couple seconds. I mean, it's, it's a lot faster than that. So, um, consider it, consider it when you, uh, come around or if it shows up on Gamefly or something, let me know. And if, uh, I still have it, we'll, uh, we'll jump on together and we'll, we'll run through it real quick. I will keep you posted on, on, uh, that situation, I guess. All right. All right. Sounds fair enough. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I know that this game has been kind of hot and cold with some souls people. I know the lore people really don't like it. And, but it seems like a lot of the more mechanical people are digging it. I would, I would say if you're a souls fan and you don't need story to pull you through, uh, give it a shot. It's, it's actually uh, been a really pleasant surprise for me. Did not expect to like it as much as I have, but I really think it's great. I think it just is a great game to play. Great design. Lots of stuff going on. Very good. Very good stuff. Good. So that's like the second game this year that you've played that you've liked then. Is that about right? God, two, maybe three, maybe three. (laughs) It's been a weird year because I don't know about you, man, but I've seen a lot of people saying this year seems like probably the best year ever for games. And I think a lot of people say that every year, every year, everybody's like, Ooh, 2016 is the best year for gaming. Oh, 2017 is the best year for gaming. And it's just so blown out now. I mean, I agree. I, I definitely agree that it, it is kind of an easy thing to say, but I've seen a lot of people who say, no, I really mean it, bro. Like, I mean <laughs> it this year. And to be fair, I mean, there have been a lot of really well-reviewed games. I mean, not not a lot has clicked with me, uh, but I know that there's been quite a few games that ended up being very successful, big sale, big sellers, and a lot of uh, folks are, are very happy with stuff this year. How has it been for you? I mean, I, I I've only got maybe three or four three or four games on my best of the year so far. So pretty, pretty sparse so far. What about you? Uh, Well, I think I might've mentioned this a while back, but I keep a running list of every game. I started doing this last year. I keep a running list of every game I play during the year. And as I finish them, I, uh, I rank them in a list. And then I also have my not finished list underneath and the, the not finished list i don't rank them in any way because if i don't finish three games i don't say oh this unfinished game is better than this unfinished game um but uh i don't know i'm not gonna read down my list but i'm just looking at it right now and i mean a lot of games that some people consider like the best game they've played this year like zelda is an easy example like i i don't i'm not into zelda i'm not really into nintendo i don't um 
like I, I probably won't play Breath of the Wild. And I mean, it's easy for people like I was tweeting about, um, like I told you that I saw the Nintendo Switch at, at, a, at Target last week and I didn't buy it. And somebody responded to my tweet and they were like, oh, that's a shame because like Breath of the Wild will change your perspective on open world games for the rest of your life. And I was like, really? Like, is that really going to be the game that's going to like open my eyes to how amazing open world games can be? Like, I don't really see that happening. And also I've watched Patrick play it enough to like not really be that interested in it. But um, like that came out and that was like a huge success. I'm sure that's going to be like 90% of the game spheres game of the year this year. Um, and like, Horizon is another huge one that everybody loved. And I mean, Horizon's like almost right in the middle of my rank, of my ranked list for games this year. Um, I mean, probably the best like triple A games I've played this year are Prey and Resident Evil 7. And I have, um, I've got like major reservations about some of Resident Evil 7's story elements, which I've talked to death about on the podcast already. But uh, I mean, like those are both in my top five. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know there's been a ton of stuff, though, this year that's been pretty high profile and really big. I mean, I know we've talked about it on the show, but this has been the year of, like, every game being, like, a huge, like, 50-hour open-world game. And I feel like it's just kind of overkill because I don't need every game I play to be, like, a game that takes, you know, three months to finish. I kind of like, you know, I like the, the two-hour games or the 10-hour games, like those kind of games. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Sounds like a pretty average year for you. A couple highs, some lows, some in the middle. Doesn't sound like you're too blown away. So that's 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 fair enough. I, I definitely wouldn't say that this is the best year ever for me, but I know a lot of people are pretty high, and I think you're right that we're going to see Zelda on most, uh, you know, if not game of the year for most people, probably, you know, top three easily, I'm, I'm guessing. So we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But yeah, uh, I don't know about best year ever, but yeah, it's been it's been an okay year. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I I think uh, is that bringing us to the end of our show? Uh, I think so. I don't have anything specifically to discuss anymore. Do you have anything else? I'm good, man. Why don't you take us home? All right. Well, that is going to bring the show to a close then. Uh, but as always, we like to remind everybody listening that if you want to send us any uh, thoughts, uh, feedback, comments, any show discussion ideas, or any feedback or anything like that, uh, we can be reached in several ways. One of which is our email. It is uh, the So Video Games Podcast at. Well, I should. It's. Uh, let me just start that over. Our email is So Video Games Podcast at gmail.com. I said the the first time. The is not in our email address. Um, if you want to email us, that is our email. Uh, we're also on Twitter. That's probably the best place to reach us. Uh, our Twitter handle for the collective show is at SoVideoGames with one O and so, despite the fact that every time I host, I say so video games. there's only one O in the Twitter address. Um, and believe it or not, Brad and I are both on Twitter uh, individually. Uh, Brad, would you like to give out your Twitter handle? Yeah, it's my name. It's B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, at Brad Galloway. Excellent. And mine is, uh, believe it or not, it's also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Um, and like I said on the show last time, um, it actually worked, too. I, uh, I asked that if you, um, if you decide to follow uh, me, just uh, say, like, hey, I'm coming from, from the uh, podcast or, you know, something like that. Because... You know, like uh, on Twitter, I, I feel like I'm going to launch into this rant like every time we talk about Twitter on the show. Um, you know, sometimes people just follow you and you don't really like 
you don't know who they are and you don't feel like, you know, checking out everybody that follows you and like diving deep down into their tweets to see, you know, if there's someone that's friends with somebody, you know, on Twitter or something like that. So if somebody follows me, usually I tend to just gloss over it and I don't really like, you know, go on like a, a deep dive inspection to see who they are. So it helps if you're just like, oh, hey, I listen to the show. And then I say hello back. And then I can officially check you off the creeper list of people that follow me. Um, Brad, do you have any opinions about that? No, I agree. I mean, I think uh, if anybody wants to give me a shout, if they are uh, a listener of the show that I don't already know or that I don't already speak to, feel free to give me a, a hello and I'll, I'll hit you back. Uh, I definitely like to interact with people as much as possible, especially on Twitter. That's my, my social media of choice. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't tend to auto-follow back because, you know, that's just like a lot of people and it clogs up your feed. But if you're a real person and you listen to the show and you want to talk to me or Corey... Uh, yeah, hit us up, and uh, that we will we will connect online. Indeed, it's the magic of social media, and sometimes the absolute worst thing about social media at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> True enough, double-edged sword, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Well, I think that's going to do it for the show tonight. Um, that is episode thirty-seven in the bag. Uh, I guess, I don't know, I guess that's it. Um, We will be back next week with episode 38, probably talking about more video games as usual. And uh, that's it for now. So in the meantime, uh, this is Bye from Corey. And Bye from Brad, and we'll see you next week. Bye, y'all.